0: All right, get your Bible out and turn to Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15. There are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew, so we are now halfway through our verse-by-verse Bible study through the book of Matthew. Amen. We're halfway through, so isn't that something? Last week, we saw the death of John the Baptist and the feeding of the 5,000. This week, we're going to see, and I put up here an outline. I've kind of enjoyed putting an outline of the chapters. We're going to see the tradition of of man versus God's commandments and it's interesting as we look at this chapter how often it talks about the mouth and how often it talks about the heart and so it talks about the difference of coming to God just with your lips and coming to God with your heart alright verses 10 through 20 is about the defilement from the heart it's not your mouth defiles you it's your heart so when people speak usually it comes from the heart But sometimes you can say something and not mean it. That's, you know, lie. But uh, a lot of times you can tell somebody by what their heart is like. Uh, Verse 21 to 28, the Canaanite woman and her faith. And so it puts in their faith. Well, how are we saved? Are we saved by what we say with our mouth? Are we saved by believing from the heart? So God is looking at the heart of people, not just what they say with their mouth. He's looking at their heart and he's looking for this right here. Well, salvation is when does God see faith in your heart? Not when did you say, oh God, please save me or repeat a prayer or something like that. When did you trust in the finished work of Christ for salvation, his precious blood? Well, verse 29 to 31, Jesus heals all these different people. And I find it odd and interesting. At the same time, he heals a dumb person, someone that can't speak, you know, the deaf and dumb. So a person that can't use their mouth to get across their point, God heals them so that they can speak. And so we just see the mouth and the heart a lot in this chapter. Then Jesus feeds the 4,000. And what do they eat with? (laughs) You eat with your mouth. You don't eat with your heart. So I find it interesting how it's this chapter. That's why I put up here a heart and a mouth. Because uh, I just found it interesting how often Jesus is saying, Look, I want your heart. I don't care what you say with your mouth. I want your heart. And a lot of people use their mouths to say certain things that they shouldn't. And What we're going to look at is these people again. Look at all these Pharisees that show up to Jesus and they're always questioning him. And these priests show up and we're going to see in this chapter what's in their heart. Were they doing the job that God put them in power to do because they cared about the people with all of their heart? Or did they care about something else and they looked down on the people? Well, the fact of the matter is they didn't even love themselves or their even parents, their own parents. And this is kind of a heartbreaking chapter because we see how they were using their tradition to. How would be a nice way to say this to disrespect their parents? And Jesus sees that and he sees their heart. So he rebukes them. But as I'm reading through this chapter, I just got how how much it just. Put on my heart, wow, we need to take care of our parents. How important it is to love your parents and take care of them. So we'll begin today in Matthew chapter 15, and let's go ahead and read verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Now, do you remember what we looked at last week? Well, last week, Herod starts doing some bad stuff, and they all seem to flee from Herod because they're like, Wow, he chopped off the head of John the Baptist. Well, the Pharisees stayed in Jerusalem, they weren't afraid. I guess because they were in bed with the government, I guess, maybe. It didn't bother them, I guess, because they didn't like John the Baptist to begin with. But now they go out of their way to walk a long ways away to come see Jesus. Now, could it be they were afraid of John the Baptist and they were fleeing too? Like I said, I don't think so. I think it's just they wanted to go to Jesus and I think they just wanted to try to make him look bad again. Because that's what we see in the next verse. They came to him, saying, "Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread." <laughs> do you get? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just find this funny. They're running out of stuff to accuse him of, right? They're like, "You blasphemer!" You, and they're accusing him all this stuff, and then they're like, "Why don't you wash your hands?" I mean, of all the things you can come up with, right? It's like, well, "You don't wash your hands." It sounds like a bunch of little kindergartners, doesn't it and these are supposed to be the religious leaders of the people that teach them the ways of God and they're upset. You don't wash your hands! (laughs) Isn't that funny? But it says the tradition of the elders. Okay, What we see here is that they're taking their tradition and they're making that more important than the law. So the law equals the commandments of God, right? And so the commandments of God should be more important. But tradition is what man says. Well, do you know what man says isn't always in agreement with what God says? So this is man giving these traditions. And one of these traditions was you got to wash your hands before you eat. Now, you know, my parents taught us that. I hope you still practice that. It's not a bad thing, but you're not going to hell if you don't wash your hands. But here's how hypocritical these Pharisees were. I started to look up what this meant. And here's what I found. Are you ready for this? The Talmud, which was their tradition, says that not washing your hands was as bad as being a murderer. Now, you get into this Jewish tradition. The Jews had their own tradition called the Talmud. And a lot of the things in the Talmud do not come from Scripture. Okay, And a lot of them are not good. And a lot of Jews will follow that instead of the Old Testament. But this is how they would do this. It was some sort of a ritualistic thing where they would take about... A half a cup of water, maybe a full cup, but how much is a cup? Very little. And they'd wash their hands with that. Now, if all you had to wash your hands was with a half a cup or even a full cup, are you going to get your hands clean? No, Especially if you put soap on it and then you still got. This was all for show for them. It was not, hey, we care about you. Want to make sure you're clean and don't get sick. Right. So they're not coming to Jesus saying, oh, we really care about your disciples. We'd like to see them wash their hands because we don't want to get them sick. It was, we want them to do what we do and follow our tradition so they can make the show that look at what we do, why we follow the elders. So you look at these people, they're a bunch of blowhards that are doing everything in the eyes of men to make it look like they, but how could they say that it was equi- equivalent to murder, not washing your hands? I just, when I saw that, I said, wow. Um, we thought God's law was strict. <laughs> Their traditions is way stricter. And so they're coming to Jesus. And so in their mind, they're thinking that murderer. So you see in their mind how they think they have a good accusation against them. Mm -hmm. But in the mind, everybody else is like, you're coming to Jesus saying, why don't you wash your hands? Well, because in their mind, they thought. So it just shows you how they're so brainwashed and they're so in their own little world. And they're so just different than the way things are. So their truth isn't God's truth is the best way to explain that. So they come to Jesus in verse two and says, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Before it was, why did they transgress the law? What's more important, the law or the tradition of man? Well, they should have said, why don't you follow the law? But why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, "Okay, now here's Jesus. And Jesus' response is way more powerful. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? You come to me and you're saying, hey, why don't you follow the Talmud?' I'm saying, hey, why don't you follow the, and you know in the Old Testament they had the first five books, which is the, draw in a blank, the Torah, and then they had the other book. So he's saying, why are you asking me if I'm following man? Why shouldn't you ask me if I'm following God? Because he's established that he is God manifest in the flesh. So their arguments are getting weaker and weaker. And Jesus is getting more powerful. Saying, wait, so you want to follow man instead of me? That's basically what he's saying. And he says, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So that shows you that tradition is not the Bible. Do we follow tradition or the Bible? Bible. We follow the Bible. Whenever I read this, I cannot help but think of that huge so-called church centered in Rome. You know which one I'm talking about claims to be so old, claims to be 2000 years old when they really officially started in about 300 with Constantine. So they're not as old as they think. If you go to that church and you begin studying all that that church teaches, they say, yeah, yeah, the Bible. Yeah, yeah. But then it's all tradition. And their tradition is, well, whatever the pope says, that's what we believe. And he speaks ex cathedra, he calls it. And whatever the pope says, they say that's from God. And yet one pope says one thing and a hundred years later, the pope says the exact opposite. So God made a mistake. (laughs) Wow, talk about dispensations. I mean, man, God must have changed the dispensation during that time. So it's just it's silly to me. But if you go to that church, they literally tell you we have to follow tradition. And a lot of them follow tradition rather than the Bible. So I see the Pharisees of old, the priests, are a good type of people over here that are calling themselves priests that are part of a tradition. So I think you see that as well. So Jesus asked them, hey, why are you trying to transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? It's almost like he's saying your tradition is against the Bible. Is that true? Well, he's about to tell them what they're guilty of, and he's about to tell them you are against what God said. But here's what Jesus responds with. Okay, Now, where did Jesus get this from? Oftentimes when Jesus speaks to those people, the Pharisees, he always deals with a sin that's for them, that they're used to doing that makes them go, uh, and then they tuck their tail between their legs and run away. Because Jesus knows what their sin is. Watch this, verse 4. For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Okay? Now, were they literally cursing their parents? I don't know. But this is a quote of Exodus 21, 17. So let's go back to Exodus 21, 17. And there's more to this, but... I wonder if there wasn't a Pharisee there that maybe was cursing his father and mother, for Jesus to say that. But then there was more to it. So Jesus gave these these two parts. Exodus 21, verse 17. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be what? Put to death. Hmm. So they're in their mind coming and saying, You're a murderer, you should be put to death because you don't wash your hands. That's their law. And God says, Well, how about my law? If you curse your mother and father, you should be put to death. See how he turns that back on them? Wow. And so we go back to Matthew chapter 15. And in verse 4, he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Now, verse 5, Jesus explains, But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited profited by me and honor not his father or his mother shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Then in verse seven, he says, "Ye hypocrites. Now, for many years, I, I never understood this. I just read over it. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And I still don't know if I have it completely together. I've read a commentary here. I looked up over here. What they say was the tradition of that time and everything. I'm going to try to explain it to you the best way I know how. But when I would read it like this, when I first read it, this is what I thought. Now, I think it's probably this over here, but this is the first thought I had. Is They're saying, but you say, whosoever say, say to father and his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever there might be profit is it by me. Um, my first thought was they were telling their parents, you know, uh, you know, I'm in charge. I'll do whatever I want. So, you know, I don't have to take care of you, but uh, every now and then I'll give you something. Aren't I a good person? That's the way I would read it. And that's what I thought it meant. But as I went through and studied it more, I think there was a whole lot more to it than that. Now that's the gist of it, I guess. But there's a whole lot more to it because look at that part that says he shall be made free. Mm -hmm. Now that's in italics. And our King James Bible translators, whenever it wasn't in the original language, they would put it in italics when they translated. They were honest. You know, new Bibles don't do that. New Bibles aren't honest. And they always do it there when it had to be there for the context to be understood. So those four words, he shall be free, aren't in the original languages, but they're in the King James Bible. And they explain this way better to where we can understand what it means. So let me see if I can show here what this is saying, uh, figure this out. Um, Probably the best way was let's go to the cross-reference, Mark chapter 7, and let's read the cross-reference, and there's this thing about the gift. What are they talking about? The gift. What is the gift? Like I said, I thought the gift was them giving something to their parents, but it's a little bit more than that, and there's a lot more to it, and I hope I can get it together. I I don't know if I've got this 100% understood. But I'm going to explain it to you the best way I know how and tell you to look into it more. Maybe you'll understand it more than I do. And if so, leave it in the comments so we can understand as well. Mark chapter 7 and verse 1 through 13 is basically what we're reading over here in Matthew. And some of this we haven't read yet. But let's go ahead and read verse 1 through 17. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding to the tradition of the elders. So this was a common thing that they did. And a lot of them were following the Talmud instead of the law, because the law didn't say you had to do that. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables, which is all good. But if you're just pouring a little water on it, and saying now it's washed, that's not enough. You need to get some dish soap and really go at that thing. But then it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now we're about to read that. In Matthew. Okay, so he's he's got all this here, but it's kind of in a different order. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. So wow, they're looking at the Bible and they're looking at their tradition, and they think it's an either or. Well, I can choose either one. No, you're supposed to follow that one. So that's interesting. So this really tells us more. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. So here we have the term Corban, and it doesn't say that over in Matthew, and we'll talk about Corban here in a minute. And ye shall suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. So I wanted you to see there where it talked about Corban, okay, and the gift. But also verse 13 is so powerful. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered. So when we follow tradition rather than the Bible, we're making the Bible, what? Of none effect. It's like in the word of God is powerful. But when you take tradition and you put it over here, you've just made it not as powerful. So let's throw out our tradition and just follow the Bible. That's basically what Jesus is saying. That's why I can't be a part of that Roman papist system, because there's so much tradition that they try to lump in. And I'm like, I don't want any other tradition. I'm not going to call you father. The Bible says call no man on earth your father. Uh, I'm not going to not get married. The Bible says a pastor can be married. So their tradition is evil. All right. Now let's turn back to Matthew chapter 15. And in Matthew 15, it just says gift. But in Mark, it says Corban. So it tells you what the Hebrew word is. So what happened was men were consecrating what they had to God and saying, all I have isn't mine. It's God's. So they would take everything they have and they would gift it to the, the temple and things like that, the altar. And so they would swear by God that, hey, this is all yours now, Lord, and I'm going to use it for you. Now, did everyone in Israel do this? I don't know. To me, it sounds like this is what the priest did. Now, if you were a priest, you had it made. You had a place to live and you had food every day. What else did you need? You didn't need money, did you? Do you know when they brought the sacrifice in the Old Testament, they cut the throat, the priest offered up the blood, and then the rest of that animal went to the priest. He ate steak. He ate mutton. He ate really good meat every day. What more did he need? But a lot of those Pharisees, they cared about the money. Remember, the den of thieves, the Bible says. And so they would have all this money, and then they would just kind of donate it to the temple and just say, no, 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 that's God's. I can't touch that. Well, then what would happen is this. They would say, all I have isn't mine, it's God, so I don't have anything to give to my parents. Oh, no, because, you know, I gave it all to God. And so this is how they would get out of their obligation to take care of their parents. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. And the parents would come and be like, I know you have all this money and you're so rich and I don't have any. I wish I could help you. I, I gifted it all to the Lord. And they're the priests that have their money in there. So it's like they're. Kind of sounds like that religion, right? That church where the priest goes and becomes a priest in this little area and all the donations, he's in the back room spending it on whatever he wants. And then when tax time comes, he goes, oh, no, we're tax exempt. And you're like, what? And he's got all that. Does that sound like that to you? So what they're doing is they're saying, well, sorry, I don't have any obligation to take care of my parents because I don't have any money to help them. And yet, what was the priest supposed to be? He's supposed to be the guy that cared about the people and whatever they took up, maybe they would have given to the poor. Maybe they're supposed. to. So it sounds like they just wanted an excuse to not take care of their parents in their old age. And that's what it sounds like is going on here. So this is a kind of robbing their parents. When we're young, our parents take care of us. Later, when when we're older, we're supposed to take care of parents, right? When we were young, they changed our diaper. When they get old, we change their diaper. Okay. that well, Unfortunately, that's usually how that thing goes. What do people do today? Oh, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I'm going to have to put you in an old folks home. I just don't have the money to take care of you. Do you know how expensive old folks homes are? They're more than if you took care of them at home. It's it, So do you see, this is kind of what we're seeing here. And so we go back to Matthew chapter 15. And Jesus calls them hypocrites in verse seven. <laughs> now, let's let's look up at Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-four, real quick. So what I'm seeing is these people don't care about their parents. They care more about money and getting rich and they want to be so rich that they want to be like, how do I keep my money and not have to spend it on those people? See how they feel like they're way up there better than their own parents. When a society doesn't honor their parents, that society is destroyed. Because if you don't honor your parents, you won't honor anybody else. All right, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 24. Look what it says here. Whosoever robbeth his father or his mother and saith, it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. So this is what it sounds like they were doing. They were saying, well, I don't have anything. And they give it as a gift. And Well, that can't be touched because I devoted that money to the Lord. So I'm sorry, I can't help you. To their own parents. Now, what's funny is the context here. Um, let's lead the context of Proverbs 28. Let's read verse 27. Excuse me, twenty-seven, twenty-three 23 to 27. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's rebuking them. If they cared, they would say thank you for that and they'd get right. But we're going to find out they were offended. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. Isn't that exactly what they did? They left Jerusalem, walked all the way up there and started stirring up strife with Jesus, didn't they? Wow. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. That's one of my dad's favorite verses because he was a little overweight. you know. Well, I love the Lord, he'd always say. Um, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whosoever walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Wow. So, interesting how it all ties together when you start studying the scriptures. It gives you, it gives you like a view of what those priests were like, and they were evil, and they were using anything but the Bible to make themselves rich, and then look down on their own parents and wouldn't even help them. So, with that in mind, let's go back and read this again, verse, um, verse three. But he answered and saith unto him, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. What is he saying? He's saying um, what, what I have is gifted away. And then he says, but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. It's a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. Okay. So they gave all that over there. So if I ever come up with something and I give it to you, it's a gift. It's not obligation. I have to take care of you. It's, well, all my money's tied up right now. If I ever come up with something, I just might help you. That's the way I see it. That's what it sounds like he's saying. But then it says there, um, in honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. What is it free from? He's making himself free from the obligation to take care of his mother and father. Okay, Does that make sense to you? Do you see it now? So he's saying, well, I give all my money over here. Well, if I had something, I'd give it to you as a gift. But... I don't have to take care of you. And yet the law says, no, you're supposed to honor your parents. <laughs> so do you see? So th- that was hard to explain for me for many years. I hope I explained it well. That's the best way I can do on that. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So that was their tradition, putting their money in a trust <laughs> rather than having it available to you know, their parents and everything. So Tradition. Jesus says in verse 7, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. So he says you're a bunch of hypocrites. You claim to be ministers. And what's a minister supposed to do? Minister to others. And you won't even minister to your own parents. If they did give alms to the poor, they went out to somebody they didn't even know and gave it to them rather than give them to their own parents that needed it. And if they did give to their own parents, they probably went, tucks right off. It's a, you know, how can, I, how can I make money off of giving money to my parents? That kind of thing. It shouldn't be about I want to give to somebody so I can get something out of it. True giving is giving. Right. So they were always trying to get something out of it. Okay, that's the best I can do on that. So let's continue there. And uh, what we find as we continue reading here is Jesus had compassion on old people. He fed them. He healed them. Where were their kids? Why weren't they there to take care of them? So with this in mind, as we read the rest of the chapter and Jesus feeds these four thousand I wonder how many of those 4,000 might have been old people who are like, with Jesus, are like, oh, my son's a priest and he won't even come visit me. He won't give me any money. We're suffering it. Uh, That's my thought as I try to connect the dots. It could be. Maybe he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 were a bunch of old people. (laughs) So (laughs) Jesus is visiting the nursing home, I guess you could say. Um, But that's just my thought as I'm I'm reading through. But Jesus really goes off on these Pharisees and says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying. Now, verse 8 is a great verse. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So they run around with their mouth and say, oh, we love Jesus. Why we are the people of God ordained as the leaders and we are here to help. We're the ministers and God, 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 God. And then when they got alone, they were counting their money and wouldn't do anything for the people because their heart was they only loved this. And this is what we're going to see. This is all they cared about right there. Isn't that sad? You think there's people like that today, they care more about gold than they do about serving the Lord? I mean, yeah, probably. There's probably people like that that care more about money, and you know what the Bible calls them? A hireling. A hireling. I forgot. If you want to look that verse up where it talks about in the New Testament, a hireling. And what a hireling is, is someone who becomes a pastor just for money. Well, there were people that were priests. Now, do you just become a priest in the Old Testament? You just wake up one day, you know, I'd like to join the priesthood. No, it was the Levitical priesthood. So it was family. So they're all family to begin with. Family should take care of family. Why are they not taking care of their own parents? Because they're so into money. But in the New Testament, we should not have hirelings, which is a man who stands in the pulpit, and all he cares about is the money. And there's a lot of churches like that. They get up, and do they preach the gospel? No. Do they preach how to live for the Lord and do right? No. Most of the time, all they do is they preach um, a milksop message of feel good about yourself. And the less they preach on sin, the bigger offering they get. Mm-hmm. Right? If you preach on sin more, you get less of an offering. What is it? John ten twelve. John ten twelve. Okay, that's one that talks about a hireling. I thought there was one in... Uh, And Timothy or someplace where he says a hireling. But that just tells us what a uh, hireling is. And boy, are there a lot of hirelings in the world. It's so sad. A lot of churches. You know, there's a lot of money in religion. That's why I don't say I'm religious. I don't want to be a religious person. I'm saved. And there's a difference between being religious and being saved. So back to um, Matthew 15. Now, verse 8, that's the context. Now, out of context, verse 8 is a great verse to show you the religious people. Religious people, they follow tradition. And with their mouth, it's all God, 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 God. But yet they're following man and not God. And there's a lot of people with their lips. So that means you're not saved by your lips. You're not saved by what you say with your mouth. You're saved by faith when you're trusting with all of your heart. Now, verse 9, Jesus says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. So here we got doctrine. Doctrine is supposed to come from the Bible. Well, they substitute Bible doctrine for man's doctrine. And they teach their own man-made doctrines, like a priest isn't supposed to get married. Hmm. Where's that in the Bible? If you read Timothy and other uh, Titus, a husband of one wife. So we don't follow man-made doctrines. We're going to follow Bible doctrine, which is what the Bible says. And we're under the New Testament today, so we follow that. But it says, in vain they do worship me. So is it possible to worship God and not even be saved? Yeah. And churches in America are full of people that are lost. And yet with their lips, they'll tell you, oh, I love Jesus. And uh, we're on Sunday. Did you see my sermon this week? I'm wearing the same tie. Uh, I talked about the Sabbath. And last week we did as well. And a lot of churches, they want to go to church on Saturday. And there's nothing wrong with going to church any day. You can choose any day. But you don't say, if you go to church on Sunday, you have the mark of the beast. What a stupid thing. That's a man-made doctrine. And yet, what does that mean? Well, if you have the mark of the beast, you can't be saved. So they're literally saying, you can't be saved if you go to church on Sunday. So every one of us is lost right here. Is that how that works? Well, according to them, that's their tradition that started in the 1800s with Ellen G. White and and Miller and all these people. So you got to watch out when a tradition becomes so strong that it trumps the Bible. What I did in that sermon was to show you in the Bible where they met on Sunday and how Paul, the apostle, he would go on Saturday to a Jewish synagogue, win them to the Lord, win Gentiles to the Lord, and then he'd set up a church and they'd meet on Sunday. That's what he told them to do, meet on Sunday. So Sunday is not the mark of the beast. There's nothing wrong with us going to church on Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And then a week later on Sunday, he met with the apostles and they were all together, it said. and Jesus. Showed. So Jesus has the mark of the beast because he met on Sunday. Right? See how silly man's tradition is? So I just want you to see that. How, how sad. How sad to see people... Falling into man made tradition rather than the Bible. Laura was reading me a bunch of comments on the way over of that sermon, and you can just see these people are exposing themselves, defending the Sabbath. You know, it's just they don't understand. We're under the New Testament, not under the Old. So you're a follower of man if you're one of those. You're not a follower of the Bible. Okay, verse 10 And he called the multitudes and said unto them, Hear and understand. So here's hearing and understanding. Before you can get saved, you have to hear and then understand. So, Part of what we're going to talk about today is how important understanding is. Okay. Jesus says, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after that they heard this saying? (laughs) Um, You know what Jesus said? Oh, no, I better apologize. Is that what Jesus said? Yeah. Or did he go, bunch of snowflakes? Probably. I mean, I don't know if they used that term back then, but he's like, you know, I don't care if they were offended because I told them they're a bunch of hypocrites and I exposed them for following tradition of man rather than my word, the Bible. And it didn't seem to bother Jesus that they were offended. If anything, it was like his attitude was, well, they should have been because they are not doing right. And they're not even taking care of their parents. According to God's law, they were worthy of what? Death. That's what it said. So he said they're a bunch of deadbeats. (laughs) I don't know if that's where that word comes from, but a bunch of deadbeats that didn't want to take care of their own people. So Jesus is uh, pretty stern in a lot of things that he says. Now let's back up quickly to verse 8. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honeth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That comes from Isaiah 29. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 29. I always like to go back and read the, um, the uh, quotes that Jesus quotes. So Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Isaiah 29, 13. In Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. How interesting. Jesus always reads the context of the Old Testament and applies it to the New. Look what they do. They're taught by the precept of men. They're making man-made tradition over what the Bible says. And it's all the way back there. So they've been doing this for a long time, haven't they? Is what it sounds like. Now what's the context of that? Here's the fun part. Let's read the context. Verse 14 to 19. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he hath no understanding. Is it not yet a very little while and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? Where did I say to read to you there? Uh, we're going to read to verse 19. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. We're about to read in Matthew where Jesus heals people and opens their eyes and opens their ears and opens their mouth. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The Pharisees are not taking care of their parents, and their parents are poor. Jesus is about to feed them, and 4,000 of them. So that's why I said her in the beginning. I wonder if there's been a whole bunch of old people there, and they're like, Hey, Jesus, no, I don't need healing. I just... My my son's a priest and he won't give me any money to eat. <laughs> well, come with me and I'll feed you. I, I'm just maybe maybe not, but I just I find that interesting because we're reading that in the context. So, men's tradition is often against God's commandment. It makes God's um, word of none effect when you follow tradition. Jesus says what a, a man says defiles him. Now go to Matthew chapter 12, real quick. Because what a man says, God remembers. God is looking at our heart for faith. And when we believe, that's when we're safe. But also, God does not forget what a man says from his mouth. And someday, when God judges people that are unsaved, every word that they ever said is going to come back up. And it says there in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So someday those Pharisees are going to have to give account to God. And uh, boy, I'd hate to be in their place because of what they said. All right. So the Pharisees were offended. Let's back in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 12. Look what it says there. The Pharisees were offended. Why were they offended? Jesus basically said, Y'all are a bunch of thieves. Okay? Let's go to Matthew 23. Let me just show you just how evil the Pharisees were. Okay, Matthew chapter 23. Not only did they not care about their own parents, they didn't care about anyone else's parents. And they were stealing from widows. That's what Jesus says. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. And look at what it says in verse 14. Matthew 23, 14, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. So when a man dies and leaves his wife with nothing, she's supposed to be taken care of. We see that in the book of James, take care of orphans and and widows. These people are like, oh, so-and-so died? Well, I bet we can get his house. (laughs) And they go after it and let that woman starve. They steal from a widow. Isn't that sad? Oh, that's horrible. What's the context there? Verse 16. And it says, and they sent out, let's see, I'm in 22, where's 23, 16? 23, 16, woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. See, they care more about gold than they did the Bible. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. There's your gift. All right. So they would take and put it on the altar and say, now this is really for God. And yet they themselves were controlling the funds and the checkbook and all that stuff. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and read down to verse 24. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Seven times Jesus calls them hypocrites in this chapter. Another seven. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy... And faith. So they didn't have any faith, okay? But they also didn't have any grace, no mercy on their own parents or parents of others. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. (laughs) And then verse 25. Well, I just got to keep reading. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within are you full of extortion and excess. And it goes on and on there. So they're all about, oh, wash your hands. Oh, wash the cups. What? And then they're full of just filth on the inside. So they're just cleaning up the outside, not cleaning up the inside. So it's all there if you look at it together. OK, back to Matthew chapter 15. Well, we've got to move. We've got a lot to get into. So Matthew chapter 15. They were offended. Verse 12. Well, boo hoo. You know, uh, they needed to be offended because they were the worst. They were the scum. Of the earth that they had turned Jerusalem into a swamp, and they were the crocodiles, if you will. Then it says, verse thirteen, but he answered and said, "Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be root up." So he gives two. Um, I guess you could call them parables if you want to. Here, one's about a plant being rooted up, and the second is about blind people. Verse 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. Now, I always chuckle when I read that because it's just in my image. I see two guys walking like this onk, and they both fall. But it's not funny. It's they're blind. But is Jesus saying they're literally blind? No, he's saying they're blind spiritually. So spiritually, the ditch would be hell. So they're spiritually lost and they're all going to go to hell because they're going to be rooted up. So verse 13 and 14, Jesus says two things. You could call them parables if you want. He has the tree or the plant. Now, I say tree because a plant grows into a tree. And he has, they're blind. Now, Mark chapter 8 and verse 24, we don't have to turn there. But remember when Jesus heals the blind man, what he says? He says, I saw men as trees walking. So men can be like trees. So Jesus, when he says that they're like plants, he's talking about the Pharisees. And he says, hey, these men need to be rooted up. A plant is planted in the ground. Rooted up means you pull it up. So what is Jesus literally saying? He's saying they're a bunch of weeds (laughs) in my garden. So Jesus is saying that the evil priests are like trees or plants that shall be rooted up. Weeds. Have you ever done weed pulling? It's hard sometimes. You pull that weed and it doesn't want to come easily. And if it does, it leaves some behind. It's hard to get rid of that because they're always after this. The love of money is the root of all evil. So. Next thing we see is the one where he says the blind leading the blind. Um, well, no time to read this, but in John chapter 9, verse 39 through 41, the Pharisees, Jesus says they're blind. And some of them come to Jesus and they say, are we blind also? And Jesus is like, yeah. So they're spiritually blind. They're not seeing it. Why? Well, because they have a bad heart. And when your heart's not right with God, that kind of blinds you sometimes to truth. So that's why we should always get on our knees and say, Lord, show me my true condition and help me to have my heart right with you. Amen. So back to Matthew, chapter 15. And there's a lot more that I could say. Actually, we need to go to the cross reference uh, in Luke, chapter six, Luke, chapter six. So let's go to Luke, chapter six, verse thirty seven to forty two. Luke, chapter six, verse thirty seven to forty two. And it says here, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. So they come to Jesus and what are they trying to do? Condemn him. Well, you're not following our tradition. And he turns around and he condemns them back. Oh, well, you're not following the Bible. So they shouldn't have judged, right? It's all all right there. Give and it shall be given unto you. (laughs) Well, we gave to you, Lord, in the temple. We made it a gift to you. Yeah, but. Give it to the people that need it. I got enough, you know. And um, good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou? the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the beam that is in thine own eye. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, while thy thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out... I can't read that word there. Uh, first, okay, my Bible it has got a little error here. Um, some of the print is missing. Cast out, is that first? Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Then he says, verse 43. Now, do we know this is the same thing that's happening in Matthew 15? Sounds like it. The ditch, falling into a ditch and things like that. Well, then we said the plant. All right. The plant needs to be rooted up. Well, look at it here. It's a tree. Verse 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt fruit bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his where? Heart bringeth forth that which is good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh so it seems like we're seeing over and over again the heart and the thing about the pharisees is this is all that was in their heart is we don't care about people we just want to make money and we'll even go steal from a widow because hey we already stole from our own parents so jesus sees their heart and he sees who they really are amen so are you taking care of your parents? <laughs> How many have their parents in a nursing home? No, I'm not going there. I'm just saying, though, love your parents. They took care of you. Honor them. Take care of them. And if nursing home's the best you can do, we'll get the best one and pay for it and help them. But if you can have them at home with yourself and take care of them, that, that's even better. The family stays with family because, you know, in those places, they don't even take care of people very well. We've heard so many stories of people going to those homes and then the people taking care of them steal from them. Isn't that sad? It's all a heart problem. It's all a heart problem. So now let's go to Matthew chapter 15. So much in this chapter. This has got 39 verses. And uh, we'll go with uh, verse. uh, Where did we end here? Let's start in verse 15. Then answered Peter and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. So Peter is always the first one to open his mouth and oftentimes he inserts his foot. So Peter goes, hey, Jesus, what does that mean? Well, here's how Jesus responds. And Jesus said, are ye also yet without understanding? Jesus is like, don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. So I love verse 17. When you eat it in your mouth, it comes out in the draught. So basically, whatever you eat here, you poop out here. That's what he's saying. Literally, that's what he's telling them. But then he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Well, whatever goes in the mouth comes out. It's dirty. You're right. That's why you flush. You don't want that around where you can smell it. Well, Jesus is making a spiritual application here. Your heart stinks. Your heart smells like diarrhea. Okay, <laughs> I say that? I mean, that's what I'm seeing here. Is Jesus saying, if your heart smells like that stuff, then coming out of your mouth is going to be things that kind of hurt your ears, and that hurt Jesus' ears to hear them come and and just, oh, you ought to wash your hands like it's the end of the world, and he's like, you ought to take care of your parents. You know, that's what I commanded. And what was it? One of the promises of of honoring your parents was long life. So they probably died early, a lot of those priests, probably have a heart attack from eating too much meat. No, I don't know. But anyway, um, so Jesus is more offended, if you will, by how evil they were inside than the outward. And they were more offended by the outward than the inward. So they were fleshly and carnal. Jesus is spiritual. Now, verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. By the way, the heart. When we talk about the heart, I'm not talking about the heart inside your body that goes bump, 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 bump. The heart is your soul. It's your being. It's who you are. Okay? But we often think it's just that. That's why I drew it up here. But no, it's, it's everything you are that will live for all eternity in either heaven or hell. It's your soul. It's who you are. So if who you are is that, then there's going to be bad things coming out your mouth. A lot of times, bad words. Have you ever been around somebody that cusses all the time? Man, uh, it's just, it's not, it hurts to hear that. I saw a guy the other day, actually, was my coach in high school, and I met him. And every other word was really bad. And I learned more about that guy. He was a pretty bad dude. Wow. But um, he needs Jesus. But out of the heart, perceive evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Do you think that he mentioned those just by chance? Or do you think just maybe, just maybe those were the things that he saw in the heart of those people? That's why he mentioned that. If that's true, then the guy that you would go to to get your sins forgiven was the wickedest man in the world. <laughs> Isn't that scary to think about? Out of their mouth, evil thoughts. So if you go to the priest, that priest is probably thinking something evil when you go to visit him. Murders. Has the priest ever murdered anyone? I don't know, but Jesus said if you hate somebody, you murder them in their heart. Adulteries and fornication. Priests have never committed adultery in their lives, have they? Have you ever heard of a priest anywhere fornicating? (gasps) No. Well, yes, actually. What did they do? They had a lawsuit against that Roman Papist church because a lot of the altar boys were, for lack of a better word, buggered. Okay. So, uh, wow. And then thefts. No, they would never. You know, you you look at a Catholic priest and you think he's a saint of God. And yet usually those are the worst people because that system allows them to do it in secret and people aren't allowed to see it. Mm -hmm. But then it says false witness and blasphemies. So all those things they're accusing Jesus of that we've read so far through the whole book, he's going, that's you. Mm -hmm. And so there's an old saying that what people accuse you of is what they themselves are guilty of. Probably 99 percent of the time. So, verse twenty: These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. So it's not a sin to eat without washing your hands. And we're under grace today, amen. So we don't have to. And we're not priests, so we're not commanded to. Okay, but it's not bad practice. (laughs) It's probably good to wash your hands, especially if you've been working outside on the farm and you've been, you know, piling horse poo and stuff like that. Go wash your hands. But if you're pretty decently clean, then then it's it's not a sin. Okay, now, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so Jesus goes away. And it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. All right, so here's a change. My Bible, verse 21, has a paragraph mark. Here's might too. Mm-hmm. So that was all taking place in the first 20 um, verses. Now we're going to something completely different. And this is all about faith. And so this is going to be talking about this. Well, faith comes from where? The heart. You see, it's not just the mouth. A lot of people run around with their mouth. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, have they ever trusted by faith from the heart in Christ? Or are they just trusting in themselves? A lot of people out there think they're Christians and they're not because they come to God with their mouth, but not their heart. So this is important. So Jesus is here and he comes across a woman of Canaan. Now, this is a woman that many of the Jews would not have accepted because she's not a Jew and they wouldn't want anything to do with her. And usually Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with this woman because he says right there in verse 24, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus says, when I came in my earthly ministry, I only came to Jews, not to the Gentiles. But for some reason, God steps outside of the dispensation, if you will, and deals with this woman who is a Gentile. And he heals her. And there was one reason because she had this. And Jesus was saying, wow, she has something that I'm not seeing in a lot of the Jews. Remember, there's a verse in the Bible that says the Jews are children without faith. So I think what Jesus is doing is he's hinting, hey, this is how you're saved over here. And this chapter really does a good job of showing it's faith that saves us. You could even become a priest and join a church and be a pastor of a church and still not even be saved. If you're doing it for you to make this. But if you by faith receive Jesus as your savior and trust his blood, well, then now you're saved. So it's the faith that saves it, not just with your mouth saying it. OK, I'm going long ways. I don't want to go too long today, but I want you to see that. So let's read this. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus says, Look, lady, it's not your time. Later, Paul's going to come over and start preaching to the Gentiles. But right now, just leave me alone, lady. I'm trying to deal with my own people. Now, is that racist? No. It's just this is his plan, and her plan is later. She should have waited, but she didn't. She kept coming. Then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now, what an awful thing to say. A lot of people look at this verse and say, that's horrible, Jesus, because she's a female. What's a female dog? There's a word for it that I'm not gonna say that you just said, amen. That came from your heart. No, I'm kidding. No, it's a, I know, it's not, I was about to say, it's one of those words that it's not cussing. Like, I can say ass, because you remember when she rode on an ass? Well, that's not a cussing. So, but still, it doesn't sound good. So there is a term for a female dog And it's bitch. See, it wasn't cussing. Right. But it sounds bad to say that word. So in that context. But Jesus called her that. Well, because the Jews looked down on them and called them Gentile dogs. But this woman was like, instead of getting offended. Right. What happened to the Pharisees? They got offended. This woman didn't get offended. She agreed. She said, yes, Lord, I am one of those. I'm the worst of the worst. That's why I'm coming to you, because I'm a sinner that needs you. Then Jesus goes, okay, I'm going to deal with you. You see what he was looking for? Jesus was looking for somebody that wanted to get right. And he couldn't even find it in Israel. So he's like, well, I'll go ahead and take a little bit of of her because she wants to do right. So look at what it says. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So he kind of goes, you know what? I wasn't going to deal with her, but she has something that I'm looking for. So what does that tell us? That tells us that over here, you're saved by faith. And so that's kind of like a foreshadowing. And that's kind of also telling us this great lesson of check your heart and get your heart right. Because if your heart's not right, you're not going to be following the Lord. You're going to be following yourself or tradition or something else. So that's an interesting little story there about the woman of Canaan. All right. So Next thing is verse twenty nine. It's so much more. Let's see. Do I have the cross reference I need to go to? Um, Yeah, I don't I don't remember if we went to Mark 7, 14 through 21. If we didn't go back and read Mark 7, 14 through 21, that's more of some of the things that we've already read. But also uh, Mark 7, 24 through 30 is where it talks about the woman of Canaan in the book of Mark. Okay, so now we can move on and get get through this. If we could. All right. So now verse 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up a mountain and sat down there. I remember the, the stories of people. I've seen it in cartoons and things where they say the, the wise man's up on top of the mountain. You've got to climb the mountain to go up to the wise man and things like that. I guess that comes from the Bible because Jesus goes up to the top of the mountain and just sits down and then all these people come. And a great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So these people wanted Jesus, and Jesus made it very hard for them to find him. He went to the hardest place he could get and went up there and just sat down and goes, okay, who wants me? Well, the Pharisees came all the way from Jerusalem to find him, just to get offended by him and accuse him. So Jesus goes, all right, I'll make it a little tougher this time. I'll go to the top of a mountain and sit there and wait. And all these people showed up. They didn't accuse them of anything. They just said, Lord, help. And they brought their sick people. And look what it says that they did. They cast them down at Jesus' feet. Now, why would they do that? I mean, if I brought my uncle or somebody and they were sick, I would lay them down nicely and say, please. I would go, here. <laughs> it sounds like they went, Boom! <laughs> oh, It sounds like they cast them at his feet. Well, maybe they were so tired from crawling, crawling up the mountain, they're like, oh, 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 boom! You know, I don't know, but it's just funny that choice of words. They cast them at his, at his feet and he healed them all. So they must have had faith too. So finally we see some faith, but interesting that a Gentile had the faith first. And then finally they said, oh, well, okay, it's faith. And so they came and they brought him before Jesus. He healed them all. And who did he heal? He healed them that Verse 31. It says Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. So here you have this kind of people being saved. So let's go over to. Um, uh, let's go to Mark, chapter seven, Mark, chapter seven. This is important, I believe. Mark, chapter seven. And in Mark chapter 7, we'll read 31 through 37. And see, I didn't get to go to Mark and read all the other verses. Because Mark 7, a lot of that matches with Matthew chapter 15. Just for fun, look at verse 21 and 22. What Jesus said was in the heart of the Pharisees. It adds more in verse 21 and 22. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. I just find that interesting. As you read back and forth, Jesus is like, dude, this is so foolish, right? You're coming to me and telling me I'm a bad person because they don't wash their hands. But then the word pride, isn't that the whole problem? Pride. That's the problem with the Pharisees. And what's the middle word in pride? I. So it's all about me. And that kind of person is the person that Jesus is against that tries to make it all about them. Okay, I know we're going a little long today. We're almost done, but I want you to read with me verse um, 31 to 37. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Okay, So this guy, Mark, singles out one of the healings and how Jesus does it. And it's interesting how Jesus does it. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, ephatha or Fatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but that the more he charged them so much, the more a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak." So hear with your ear, the word ear is in here, and speak with your mouth. In order to speak with your mouth, you need to have your heart right. So get your heart right with God, and when your heart's right, then with your mouth, go tell others. Don't be one of these people that talks about God all the time with their lips, but their heart's not right with God. So they got things out of order. Did that make sense? Because that sounded really cool. <laughs> wow, I didn't mean to say it that way. It sounded pretty cool. I couldn't say that again if I tried. Okay. I got it on film. Amen. We got it on film. So... I just find it interesting as we look at the cross references how fun that is to see. There's always a little bit more detail in the cross reference. So back to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29, Jesus is on a mountain. Verse 30, they cast him at his feet. Verse 31, they glorify God. They glorified the God of Israel. The Pharisees weren't there. They weren't glorifying the God of Israel, yet they were the ones with their lips that were supposed to do that. Isn't that wild? Verse 32 then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. There it is. That's what it all boils down to right there, is that's what they didn't have, compassion. Do you have compassion on others? I hope so. That was their problem. They didn't care about other people. They only cared about themselves. So I see that as what they were missing, the Pharisees. And so it says, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days. Really? Three days? What does that make you think of? Well, Jesus Christ rose again after three days. And have nothing to eat, so three days without eating. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples saying to him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Now, several things here. First of all, why were they three days without eating? Did it take three days to get there? Or maybe they took them a day to get there. They stayed for a day or two without food. But three days without eating, that's not fun, is it? And you hear, brrr, that's your stomach. But for them to be willing to seek out Jesus. And what was he doing for those three days? That must have been a whole lot of sick people for him. Three whole days healing them. And Jesus saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven and a, and a few little fishes. But here, here's the disciples again. They're like, and his disciples say to him, when should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great. a. Remember, this already happened. Why would they even say that? They should have gone, oh, remember what you did back then, Lord? Lord, to feed the 5,000? Why don't you do that again, Lord? No. What do we do this time? We don't have any food. Where's their faith? <laughs> That's what makes me wonder. Where's their faith? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven and a few fishes. Now, last time it was, um, how many was it? five five loaves and two fishes. Here's seven loaves and a few fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. Last time it was what? 12 baskets in Matthew 14:20. So here we see this again. And again, my question was, could a lot of those have been You know, parents of these people that didn't have any money for food, Uh, possibly. Or it could have been just a lot of the the sick people. And they that did eat were 4,000 men besides women and children. So 4,000. So we had the feeding of the 5,000 in the last chapter, the feeding of the 4,000 in this chapter. How many of them were the same? Could have been. Some were the same. But if they were completely different, that's 9,000 people that Jesus fed. Wow. And you get fed with your mouth right? So it's just this whole chapter is all about the mouth and the heart. But I think faith is what Jesus is saying. You need to have faith. Even the disciples were like, what are we going to do? We don't have food. Jesus is like, have faith. Here's what we did last time. Let's do it again. So it's funny to see. Now verse 39, and he sent away the multitude and took ship. <laughs> Remember last time he sent him away and he didn't take ship? He told him to go and then he walked out on the water. Well, this time he took ship with them and he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. And Magdala would be here. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's Bethsaida, Capernaum, Gennesaret, Magdala and Tiberias. So Jesus is over here. So it's just kind of neat to see where he went. And uh, Jesus went there. And we'll go start next time. And next time in chapter 16... You got the Pharisees again. (laughs) And here they come again. They just keep coming after him and after him, attacking him all the time. And um, I said all that to say this. The chapter ends with a deaf and dumb man able to hear and speak, while the Pharisees are not able to to hear what God is saying, and they're blind. Chapter 15 is about your heart and your mouth. 15.8 is so important. I love to use Matthew uh, Fifteen eight. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And it shows the importance of believing with all your heart. Salvation is by faith from the heart, and understanding is key. So let's close with Matthew thirteen fifteen. I love Matthew thirteen fifteen. Matthew chapter thirteen verse fifteen says, "For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears that are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed; they are blind." Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be what converted their salvation and I should heal them. So in order to be converted, you have to hear something first. You have to see it. You have to hear it. You have to understand it. Then when you believe, that's when you get converted. And I find that very important because a lot of churches you go today, they don't teach that. A lot of churches you go to today, they say, oh, you want to get saved Well, just repeat this prayer after me. I'm not against prayer. You can pray. But is it the prayer that saves you or is it what Jesus did here that saves you? What if you say that prayer, but you don't put your faith in the blood of Christ from the heart at the same time? Well, then all you've done is come to him with your lips, but your heart is still far from him. And unfortunately, that's way too common in many churches today. People just repeat a prayer and they don't get saved. But yet the rest of their lives, I'm a Christian because I said the prayer when I was five years old or something like that. And so they're trusting in the prayer they said rather than the blood that God shed. And I can't tell you how many uh, testimonies I've gotten over the years of many people saying, Brother Breaker, thank you for preaching the blood because I was one of those. I was a religious person. I thought I was going to heaven because I said something. I hadn't heard the gospel. I hadn't believed. Now I believe. Now I know I'm saved. So now they're a true christian not one of these false christians who just with the mouth says they serve god but they don't believe from the heart do you know that makes me a heretic to preach that (laughs) in the eyes of a lot of people do you know i don't care because i love to see people get saved and when they do get saved they tell me brother break i i always had doubts i didn't know if i was saved or not because i did what they said i just repeat and i was trusting my but when i saw and understood and believed the blood trusted the gospel Now I don't doubt. Now I know I'm saved. Now I know I'm on my way to heaven. That's a true Christian. And I think this chapter does a good job to show you it's from the heart that we believe on Christ. And that's when we're saved. Amen? Amen. All right. We went a little long today, but any questions or comments on that? Yes, sir. He fed 4,000 men. Does that mean there were 4,000 men besides women and children, which could have been ten, twelve thousand. 12,000? Exactly. Yeah, that was the the last of that... um, Verse 38, and they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. So we looked at that last time when he fed the 5,000, there were probably more. So this is 4,000, there was more. So maybe 8,000, maybe 7,000, I don't know. But it was more than 4,000, but they were just counting the men at the time. So we could say it this way, he fed 4,000 families. (laughs) Would be one way to say it because back then they counted the family. The man is the head of the family. So it was way more than than 4,000. Good point, good point. Anybody else? Don't you wish you could have been there just to see that miracle, though? I mean, I I would have been walking behind them to see what's going on in that basket. Like I told you, I don't know if every time they rip it, another piece grows back or how. I don't know, but I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been. And I would have asked, can I have three loaves? (laughs) I'll just take half of what you got, you know. Okay, go ahead. Um, No, no, it's not a question. I guess the fishes were cooked, right? (laughs) Okay, well, so the fish. Maybe the people cooked it themselves. I don't know. I don't unless they were having sushi. <laughs> that's raw fish, right? But the fish, yeah. Well, that's a good question. It could have been they cooked the fish right there. So when every time they reach in the basket, they're handing them a cooked fish. I don't. Right. So somebody cooked it. It sounds like because I don't know if they would eat the raw fish. So that that's another element that either they're passing out raw fish and the people are cooking it right there, or it was cooked, thrown in the basket, and every time they pull out a fish, it was a cooked fish. That's, that's a really big miracle right there. Or they all carried microwaves back then. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I doubt that. I doubt that. But that's, see, I hadn't thought of that because Jesus is cooking fish later at the end of the book of John, and he's cooking them on a fire, so... And maybe that's why he told them to get together in groups. So that's all around the fire. So they'd hand him a fish and then they'd all go put it out there and cook it themselves or something. I don't know. That's a good question. I wasn't there. Another (laughs) thing I always think about is how did people being 5,000 and even more than that could hear Jesus? Okay, how could 5,000 people or 4,000 people hear Jesus, Okay, If you're on a mountain, your voice will carry, all right? Especially if you're all right in the old days, they had coliseums and, and things like that. And the Greeks would make this and they'd have these stadiums and, and you could have where a guy down there speaking, anybody could hear it. So there's acoustics, if you will, in nature, but also when you're out on water, too. I did a video one time where I went out way out in the bay and I had my daughter record me and I look like a little dot out there in the middle. And when I preach, you could hear it perfectly without a microphone mm. because you're. Your voice carries on water like that. So maybe Jesus rode out. There's one time we saw where he rode out in the boat and he preached to all of them. So that's another way. Other way is just he had a loud voice. Um, Whenever this guy came to America and preached, the famous uh, Wesley, uh, was it Charles Wesley or John Wesley? I always get those two um, confused. But it was the one that preached so hard his throat would bleed. He would preach so hard that people could hear him. And that was in the days of Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin said he went to hear him and he heard him preach and he said when he started preaching he said I started walking he said I walked and I was five miles away and I could still hear his voice as clear as a bell that's how loud that Charles Wesley was or John whichever it was when he preached so clearly you could in those days that many people could hear one person so it's amazing to think about and what would be fun would be go over there and I don't know if I want to go to Israel now But to go over there and just, you know, walk around and find out where would be the best place close to Magdala or wherever he was that where your voice carried the loudest and where that many people would fit. And you might could still find today that very same place and probably find some fish bones there, too, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, So isn't that cool. Anybody else? So this to me was a fun chapter, but I I think this is an important chapter because, again, the importance of believing with all your heart. And I just want to make sure that everybody here is trusting in the finished work of Christ, his shed blood. Please don't go to bed at night wondering if you're saved or not. If you're one of those like, I doubt it, I don't know, get that thing settled. Because when you trust in what he did and you set aside yourself and don't trust in anything that you do, then you know you're saved because he's the one that saves us. We cannot add to it and we cannot save ourselves. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else?